Netflix presents Inside Joke Space Force. I'm your host, Jimmy O. Yang. Grab your special banana and don't forget the nips. I mean, nubs. And let's go inside Space Force. Welcome to the podcast. Today we're talking about season one, episode 102, Save Epsilon 6 of Netflix's Space Force, written by Greg Daniels and directed by Tom Marshall. With his beloved satellite severely hobbled, General Naird must decide between a well-reasoned scientific solution and a chimp-led rescue operation. So the groundbreaking science was not enough. We needed a literal dog and pony show recast with a chimp. Yes! Our guest today, we're very lucky to have my man, Mr. John Malkovich, who plays Dr. Adrian Mallory. And later joining us in the show will be our visual effects producer, Trent Smith, to talk some chimp business. Welcome! Today, we're very lucky to have my man, Mr. John Malkovich, on the podcast. How are you, John? Hey, Jimmy. How are you? I'm good, man. You know, just uh, staying put. I, I, I got to tell you, John, um, when I found out I got the job for this show, it's Steve and you and everyone else. And and I think the first day of shoot, it was that scene in 101 uh, in the hangar uh, in front of Rockets. It was with me, you, and Steve and a couple extras. I got to say, I was nervous, man. Uh, working with you and Steve, but um, you you guys are just so nice and like so, uh, of course, professional that 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 nervousness just went away immediately. Have you had that experience where where young actors just cannot like fathom the fact that they're acting with John? <laughs> well, I'm not not even sure I'd be aware to me, but <laughs> but I am aware sometimes. Um, I think that goes away pretty quickly, you mm-hmm. know, the the whole thing of nerves. I think. Oh, I mean, absolutely went away for me when we started acting. We're just acting. And, and you're so cool with everyone on set. Uh, the extras that's in that launch room, you know, we all kind of started chatting. And, and yeah, it's just you, you come off um, a very unintimidating vibe, whatever people you know, who would have thought you were an intimidating yeah. uh, superstar actor, you know? How, how did you get involved in this? Did Greg call you or, or did you seek this out? First, I heard about it from my agent. Mm-hmm. And it sounded really funny to me. And I said, I thought that sounded funny. And they said, you know, you've worked a lot last couple of years. Do you really want to work right away, et cetera, et cetera. And it seemed like you guys were going to start while I was still doing the play, which, which sort of is what happened, but I couldn't leave right away. And so it looked like it was going to go away the gig for, for mm. a couple of weeks. So I didn't read it or anything. I didn't get sent a script. And then a couple of weeks later I heard, no, maybe they can make that work. And they sent me the script and Greg sent me a nice email. And uh, I read the first two scripts, which I thought were really funny. And uh, I said, yeah, looks good. Now, of course, one is just reading two episodes, which Mm -hmm. is kind of half the length, say, of a movie script even. So Mm -hmm. you, you don't have a super clear idea necessarily of who your character is or where he's headed, but that's the kind of nature of the beast on on something like this. 
Yeah, and I think I asked you this before. What's like your picking process of projects? Because I'm sure there's a lot that you can choose from. A lot of scripts come on your desk. Uh, is it a script-based thing, or is it oh today? I'm, you know, I've I've done some really dramatic stuff in the theater, and, and I want to dive into some comedy. Or is it uh, oh I want to work with somebody like Stephen Gregg? Uh-huh. It can be anything, Jimmy. Meaning, I, I've done a ton of first director movies. There there are a number of factors. I don't I don't think so much about comedy or drama. I mean, comedy to me is obviously more fun, mm-hmm. and I always prefer to laugh at work. and And I think one of the great things about Space Force is it has so many funny people in it that are just really fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Even people who just come in for a day occasionally, like like Chris Gettard or... or yeah. uh, I mean, just so many, you know, Jane Lynch, so many people yeah. uh, who are funny and fun to watch. And that's so entertaining but i generally don't divide things up so much into comedy or drama or tv or movies or theater because i suppose the experience in some in some way is always similar Mm -hmm. and yet is always very distinctive at the same time yeah and and i mean you came from theater steppenwolf famously of course and and you still do a ton of theater uh and and of course, I feel like people do theater not for financial reasons, but for the love of the art. Uh, and do you do you still find theater like being like your first love? Yeah, I think um, I I did a play last year that, that seemed to cause a degree of controversy and and I'm sure boredom or rage or or delight maybe too, playing a kind of Harvey Weinstein-like character in this play of David Mamet's called Bitter Wheat, which was a sort of black farce. And, and, you Mm -hmm. know, comics sometimes tell a joke and say too soon, Um, but which which also could have been the case. I, I don't know. It's not really for me to judge. It's just for me to do. But... I really wondered how I would like doing a play again eight times a week because for years I did a ton of work in the theater, but a lot of them were these sort of theater, classical music, opera hybrids, and they weren't on the kind of Anglo-Saxon wheel of torture of eight performances a week for Mm -hmm. six months, et cetera, et cetera. So this was the first piece I had done that had the regular eight shows a week schedule. Mm -hmm. And I found, yeah, I loved it. I love going to work. I love doing the play, working with my colleagues, watching my colleagues. I loved rehearsing. You know, it's kind of since very young adulthood that's what i grew up doing and that'll always be sort of home for me i think mm-hmm. so 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 john the mallory character did you develop that with uh greg and steve or was it already written not that? really jimmy i mean i wasn't very involved with the writing um 
except if I thought something wasn't sort of factually correct or something like that. Mm -hmm. I, I sometimes get very involved with writing. Um, I, I'm just now working on a piece which will probably revive, which I did a couple of three years ago in Europe uh, called Just Call Me God. And on that, I work with a, a longtime Viennese collaborator and we kind of ride and rewrite one and the other. It goes on through the whole for years. But um, I didn't get that involved with this writing. I never... what. Now you were telling me before we started, you're sitting in the writer's room and everything. I've never done that, so I have no experience. And I don't even know how I'd approach it in this instance, except to say, I mean, just for instance, I can think of off the top of my head was um, when I have a little song to my loved one in episode five, mm -hmm. when I read it, I, I thought it was great, and a great idea, no problem, and that was all fine. But it didn't have the requisite number of lyrics per stanza uh -huh. and per chorus. So I could say, hey, this needs two and a half lines here, and the chorus has to be in this meter, otherwise... It's right, because because you, you you know music from uh, you you direct all these orchestras and the performances, right? Can you like I, I'm still not. You told me a few times, but I'm not sure exactly what the format is of those, and it's very cool. I don't really direct them, Jimmy. I I started working a lot with classical musicians about ten or twelve years ago, even though I'd done it a couple times even before then. And these are all extremely creative, almost like modern art pieces. That's not not really just theater, not really just a monologue, no, no. and and not just uh, a not violin. Just music, not and, just music. They're really hybrid pieces. Sometimes also very visual, sometimes less so. But they're they're kind of hybrid pieces. Yeah. And I think it's so cool. I think I think everything we've talked about, just from knowing you, you're just so open to doing every different thing. Um, like, uh, I know you're friends with a CL, the Korean K-pop singer. Sure. You know more about K-pop than I do. And I think that's one cool thing about you. I think people know you from, you know, Con Air, being John Malkovich, Dangerous Liaison, which are all incredibly good, but classic Hollywood movies. But there's a million other things that you've done that, sure. you know, I'm just, every time you tell me these stories, I'm just peeling the onion. And, and, and it's so cool that you're able to stay flexible. And even I always feel uh, incredibly endearing that you would even ask me for my opinion on certain things because you're so willing to listen. Well, that's what's great, Jimmy, I think about. I was saying it to, to Nicole, to my wife last night. I, last night I talked to Ben just apropos of nothing. He just had a couple of things about Con Air he wanted to ask me. Which <laughs> yes, Ben sent us uh, in a group text a Con Air photo of you, Cyrus the Virus. Uh -huh. Yeah. Uh, and I was talking to him and I said, you know, it's so great. I'm so lucky that I've met now in like three generations under me, not just one. People that 
are really interesting, really smart, who've lived very interesting lives. And see, of course, we're informed when we get older by the lives we've lived and the experiences we've had, but we're also closed by those experiences. Mm -hmm. And that's why sometimes I say, you know, I remember I said to you one day, just apropos of nothing, I said to you, what is up speak? Mm -hmm. Where Mm -hmm. does this come from? What is this? Uh, Now, my point would not be, don't you agree with me how irritating it is? My point is, where does it come from? What is it? What's your point of view? Let's explore let's, because this is interesting. Yeah. yeah. Let's let's understand what is this? What does it come from? What might it mean? What could one attribute it to? Mm-hmm. Rather than going, I love this or I hate this. Um, I'm just always more curious, why is this? Or what is this? Yeah. And, and, and that... Approach is amazing, and and, and it's got to be one of the reasons why you have your acting has spanned so many decades on so many different projects. Um, it, it's a great approach, I think, as an any artist or actor, right? And and I, I think I was really raised. My, my father and my mother, I mean, both. They just they wouldn't excuse kind of in curiosity about the world mm. that, that they didn't forgive. Everything else was sort of, they were super laissez-faire mm-hmm. but that they didn't like. And I, I found that very helpful in my life, very helpful for the exploration, not only of, of the work I do, but also the colleagues with whom I do it. And Mm -hmm. I've been super blessed to work with 80-year-old Germans Mm -hmm. or 20-year-old Russians or Mm -hmm. uh, 18-year-old kids from the valley. Yeah, Uh, yeah. That's not a bug. It's really a feature. And Mm -hmm. it's, to me, a beautiful thing that keeps your mind active and on search. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, that, that probably, I mean, one of the things I really want to ask you about is your process into approaching characters and stuff, because I think not just myself, but so many people respect you so much as an actor, uh, uh, you know, not just a celebrity, but uh, a really an actor's actor. And I think with that curiosity, with those observations of uh, 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 the respectful observation of an 18-year-old Valley girl and an 80-year-old accomplished German artist, I, I think that's what's really interesting. So do you pull, because I've talked to actors that a lot of characters they pull, they, it's it's from people they know or experience they've been through, right? So I guess aside from the theater training, uh, the the base that we you know uh, we all have or have earned through different things. I, I have stand up training. Ben Schwartz has improv training. You have your theater training. So what do you think is important for I guess young actors to really learn and and be you know be good at and, and be curious about how, how do you approach it? I, I think, Jimmy, there are probably 
there are a number of schools, for instance, there are certain actors whose work is at, at its onset, at its creation, imitative. Mm-hmm. So I think there are several forms, no, maybe several paths, I guess I'd say, that actors may take. And one of them is a kind mm-hmm. of imitative path. So right. so-and-so sounds like this, and I'll talk like that, and that's how I am. And then the next time I'll play someone who talks like this. And is like, okay, Yay. great, yeah. fine, why not? Go ahead. That never interested me terribly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think I'm very good at it. Like a lot of people, when their kids love cartoons, I always hated cartoons because <laughs> I hate funny voices. Uh-huh. Um, and I'm not really interested in imitating someone. Probably two or three times in my career, I've taken something which then I might exaggerate or cover up from somebody I watched mm-hmm. that I found very telling in, in life more, not so much in movies or something. Mm-hmm. But me, I generally prefer to make it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't think it's about the time spent. It's, it's that it's an act of imagining and it's an interpretive act in that it's not that person who lives four houses down that I met 11 years ago. It's the person on this page of text. Mm. Who, who is that? And, yeah. And generally, I think the most important thing about that is how does that person view the world? Mm, interesting up in the morning is the world uh, out to get them are they happy to face their day are they angry are they sad are they worried are they paranoid are they joyous or who are they mm-hmm so the big worldview is what informs you and you don't you don't get bogged down on the line by line because I've been to classes or schools that's like, hey man, you need an action on this line, that line, this line. And I have found it so confining. And what I love about you is, I mean, first of all, uh, it's incredible to see you always flipping the script, doing a ton of your homework, but then, you know, even at your level, but then when it comes to the performance, you're absolutely relaxed and it's just so alive and, and it's very cool to watch. Thank you, Jimmy. You know, when I was your age, I didn't work very much, meaning hmm. I just went and did it. Now I work very, very hard, it, which has to do with age. It has to do with the older you get, you know, time is right behind you. Time is catching you. Mm. And, and, and what does that work involve uh, usually? Aside just, from, of course, just memorizing yeah, lines. Just yeah. really, really trying to understand who is this person? What do they want? What do they feel about what this person says or what that person says? Mm-hmm. What, what do they want when they go into this room? You know, I know 
I guess, in acting class, they talk about actions and all that stuff. And that, okay, true. Mm-hmm. But a lot of human interaction isn't about that. It's, it's about behavior. It's about interchange and what, okay, I want the launch to not go ahead. You want the launch to not go ahead. And none of the scientists did. So you kind of, I watch you, I watch them. I go, okay, but Steve wants it to. Mm-hmm. And, and you go, oh, and how do, how do I receive that? How does my character receive it? How do you receive it, your character? So everything in it is listen and respond. Mm-hmm. They don't want this launch to go forward because it's been an incredible amount of work. And why ruin it just because some Congress creatures happen to stroll in that day and they want to see something Im- impressive. They mm-hmm. want to see the firework display. Well, there is a reason for that, because that's how you get funding, and that's how the program goes forward, and that's how you make those relationships that may make your funding easier next time or may even increase your funding, and there are a whole lot of reasons. Um, Mm -hmm. And those are just all the things within a story that, now I think about much more, whereas, say, when I was your age, I only, I just dealt with them instinctively. Right, just reacted to it. Yeah, yeah. That's super valid. That's no problem. Mm-hmm. But, but I just found the older I got, the more I reflected on it. And generally also, the more I got involved with writing. That's all stuff I wouldn't have gotten involved with when I was young. Mm, mm, I just said, the writing is what it is. Uh, (laughs) I don't touch it. I don't, you know, in the theater, you don't change text. You don't change a word. You don't do all that. But in movies, I, I found that you often had to, that it was sort of, you were part of, the vetting process Mm -hmm. this i don't quite feel this makes sense this doesn't make sense i don't really get this it's yeah like taking ownership in the characters especially in a series like this like okay perfect example and transition in like this uh the second episode uh, there are certain things we got to make work because we're all staring at a green screen. Nothing yeah, sure. was done, right? And then yeah. uh, 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 when we shot. So it's very interesting. Uh, I'm trying to remember. So we spent the entire episode of Launch Room. Did we improvise a bunch of stuff or was it? There was a lot of improvisation. There is markedly less in the episodes as as I remember it than there was in general. I think Steve still does some, but it's not much. The the scripts are quite uh specific. Yeah. A lot of the improv stuff was cut. Uh oh I remember you learned Space Force, the symbol for Space Force from the sign language guy. 
That I thought was hilarious, but I don't I don't think that made the final cut. No, no. A lot of them didn't. And I wonder if that is contractual mm. because I think their contracts are quite specific about this has to be exactly these words, et cetera, et cetera. Greg and I had a conversation about it hmm. um, at a point in time. But I think, you know, they shot a lot of coverage. Mm-hmm. We didn't get to all the things we could have, uh, unfortunately, and didn't get. And that particular improv was never shot. Actually, it oh, was really? heard, but it was never on on camera. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, which I think is unfortunate, but but also such is life. Um, <laughs> I think every every person in this did because I saw them very funny things that we don't see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you have a pretty big ensemble. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of quite interesting people who come in and out. You're going to say, "Oh, I wish that was in," or "I wish that," I, I wish his thing when he did that was in, or she was right. so funny when she did that. But that's just kind of the nature of the beast, really. I think. Yeah, there's something fun about that too, because I guess the scripts are written so well, and and yeah. there's such a great story already. And of course, they gotta go even after they shot that ten days or five days for our episode. They gotta spend another two months to create this chimp. Uh, but there is something nice that me and you know those stories now. Hey, remember that day with the that? Of course, it's always fun. Yeah. It, it keeps I mean, it that alive. Was- the that the shooting of that episode, I don't know that you could ever make it as funny as the shooting was. I think <laughs> it's impossible because everybody's imagining this chimp. The yeah. story is so stupid and <laughs> so funny yeah, yeah. because it's so pathetic <laughs> and so inept uh, to think people spending billions of dollars on these, uh, on these, on a mission like this, on a yes. launch like this, and it ends up having to be saved by a chimstronaut <laughs> in his little space helmet with a little tiny drill from Ace Hardware. Do you know right. it's too sad? And how serious and committed we have to play it. Sure, it makes it so comedic. I think. Yeah, and it's just. There's something so true about that that mm-hmm. all these all these big dreams of space and you know uh, Ben Ben sent I had seen it too he sent all of us on our little chain uh, the real space force ad which was something like what if you weren't meant to be on this planet yes 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 yes. Yes. It's it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. But all of these big dreams and big goals and aspirations and explorations and, and fantasies which just end up with a chimp <laughs> trying to go out in space yeah. and nearly succeeding, which <laughs> is the really hilarious part, 
Yes. And then as your character says, being hurled in a trajectory toward the sun. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just too sad. <laughs> it's so lifelike about man's um, just basic patheticness and and incompetence and inability but that's also what's funny and endearing about mm-hmm. it, that, that we fail. And, and, and the scientists that spend years in school at MIT, at these sure, labs, yeah. and then the general that spend years to uh, raise up in the rank to be sure. here, just so we can save a chimp in the moment. And in that moment, you completely forget your training. If, if this is stupid, it's just... Yeah, three men or six men doing their jobs, you know, sure. yeah, and that's yeah. extremely funny. So uh, we got a clip here. Uh, clearly over his head, Mark struggles to find his place. And the Space Force scientists grapple with the best way to reattach a solar panel to Epsilon 6. That was a very fun day on set. And after a brainstorm session, uh, you, Dr. Mallory, pulls their suggestions from a steel bowl. So let's take a listen to that. Manned spacewalk from the ISS. Hmm, that's risky. And the ISS is 200 kilometers away. If we ask for outside help, the whole world will know that the Chinese boofooed our satellite. Next card. Oh, solar panels are like light sails. Push them back with light. Hmm, that's interesting, Yamato. It it is, but how would we focus this sunlight in the right direction? Retask Aliat. Next card. That's low Earth orbit telescope. Next card, please. Yamato, there is something there. Why don't you take Swedberg and Carter and noodle it around a little bit? Good idea. Okay, what have we here? This says bomb. I don't know <laughs> if that is a noun, a verb, or an adjective describing my outfit. All right, let's not just dismiss that out of hand. What about a bomb? In my experience with the Air Force, that was very often the right answer. Very, very often. Are we now pretending we have tons of time? We don't. Okay, then who would like to elaborate on their idea of bomb? All right, it was me. Maybe it's a small smart bomb, very targeted. I don't see how that could help. All right, a big fucking bomb. That was my first instinct anyway. That's no better. Shockwaves. It's a vacuum. Space is a vacuum. Vanneval, take Chan and work out the details. Noodle it around. That's a really funny thing, which I love. Um, and, and, of course, it, it kind of turns around, I think, very cleverly in the right in the writing. Mm-hmm. Mark basically, General Naird basically explains, Jimmy, correct me if I'm wrong, that that many times in the Air Force, whenever there's a problem that seems sort of in, impossible to resolve, mm-hmm. that problem is in fact helped by dropping a bomb. Any bomb, and yeah. Any bomb. It can be a little bomb or a big bomb, but it somehow yeah, yeah. helps. Yeah. Um, which, of course, is, I mean, it's sort of a knee-jerk, silly sort of idea about what the Air Force does, but it's probably just true enough in certain circumstances and, of course, painful enough that it's funny. The character I play, Adrian, Dr. Adrian Mallory, he 
is totally against, he's a pacifist, he's totally against anything military. He just thinks it's horrible, the idea of the militarization of space, et cetera, et cetera. It, it's funny that when the Chinese craft comes by and just snips the, the yeah. solar panels off our craft and moves on, then my character, of course, wants to drop a bomb. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. uh, which sort of goes back to the uh, Robert Conquest quote, who was the great Anglo-American who wrote all the great books about the Soviet Union, or, or Harvest of Sorrows, and et cetera, et cetera. He said that everyone is conservative about what they know best. <laughs> you know, uh, here is Mallory suddenly from being horrified in episode two of the idea that a bomb could ever solve anything just saying we absolutely have to start dropping huge bombs on yeah. people to resolve things. <laughs> yeah. uh, and that, you know, that episode has such great also, I think it's very funny about information because at first, you know, Nerd with the trainer guy who was great, they actually get the chimp out of the fucking spacecraft. Which is incredible, an incredible feat in itself. They get him out of the spacecraft with a drill Mm -hmm. in his little space chimstronaut suit (laughs) and little helmet. They get him out, and he's actually grabs the panels and is in the process of reattaching them. It's, It's just... it beggars belief that it could happen, but you believe it and you're watching it and you think it's, it's going to happen again. It's going to be fantastic. And then it ends very, very badly. (laughs) And Nerd gives an extremely emotional and very, very convincing speech about how the chimp deserves the highest medal. Right recognition and don of course you know brad his character don lake's character explains that a chimp can't get any medals because he's not human he's not human he's an animal sir yeah oh he cracks me up so much he's so funny and you know and then they discover that in fact the chimp they then they decide they'll rely on the husky or Mm -hmm. malmute or whatever he was who's gone up in space with the chimp. Mm-hmm. The chimp is called Marcus, I think. Is that- yeah, one is Marcus and Theodore. Theodore and Marcus. Okay. They've gone up in, in space together. And so they think maybe the dog could somehow save <laughs> the day. And instead, they just see the dog's tail floating around. Mm-hmm. And then they ascertain that the chimp had eaten the dog. And then the chimp suddenly is the worst person, yeah. the worst person, the worst creature that ever lived and is just the most horrible thing and, and just the worst and can never, ever have a medal and yeah. the poor dog and on and on and on. And that really amuses me just about the, the perception of events based on 
what you know at a given time Mm -hmm. and how invested you get in something when you think you understand the narrative, but in fact, you don't know anything about what happened at all. Right. You come up with a snap judgment and opinion because you see a piece of it. You see another piece, you come up with another snap judgment, but somehow none of us ever learn to wait till we see the full picture first. That's right. It's a, and that's a fascinating thing and a lesson We just have to learn over and over and over and over. Things are not what they seem. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, uh, they're just not. And we always look at it and go, that is the worst. And then you go, oh, you mean, oh, I see. Oh, okay. So, oh. And then (laughs) two weeks later, you go, who cares? Yeah. And and now who knows what happens with the chimp? Is he Chinese now or what's going on? We'll see. I think he's eventually, they think he's taken prisoner, right? Well, or prisoner, or is it a willing prisoner because the Chinese actually have treats to, we yeah. don't know. We'll see. We I guess. Yeah. I'm very interested to find out what happens with the chimp. So how do you view uh, Mark and Dr. Mallory's relationship? Does Mallory respect Mark? Does Mark respect Mallory? I don't know how personal it is, but I just don't think he has much respect for people whose background is in the military. I think probably that's the best way to answer it Um, because he considers that barbaric and inhumane and, Mm -hmm. and is not, is not a fan of, of military people and doesn't at all understand why he wouldn't be the boss rather than Mark be the boss because science should take the lead, uh, I would think, in, in Mallory's mind. But I don't, I don't think he personally dislikes him. He just doesn't think he's smart enough to be the boss of Space Force because he's not a scientist. I think it's probably that simple. All right, John. So joining us, we got our special effects. uh, Trent, what's your title? Special effect director, special effect master. I'm a, thank you very much for the master part. It's a visual effects supervisor. Visual effects supervisor, Trent Smith joining us. I, I think all of us were so happy and, and excited when we saw the cut of uh, with the chimp because for the longest time, we we're just acting with a green screen. Did you guys do the Planet of the Apes chimps also? <laughs> we, we worked with the same team that uh, did the Planet of the Apes and uh, pretty much any talking, moving monkey chimpanzee that's been done in the last 10, 15 years. It was a, with a company called Weta Digital down in New Zealand. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. So it's a New Zealand and U.S. collab. That's cool. Yes, it is. Yeah. And and how did that chimp come about? Do you pick like an existing chimp and then model it after that? Or, or how does that all work? Well, the way we went about it is uh, w- with Greg, we went online and just went through a ton of photo references of chimpanzees and monkeys that he felt had the right uh, feel and look that uh, Greg wanted to see. 
then from there, once we had a, a few selects, we presented that over to uh, the team down in New Zealand, Weta, and uh, worked with them to grab from their library of other monkeys they've done that were that were in the rough uh, proximity of those monkeys. So, you know, they had the right shape, the, the right age of a monkey, which uh, Greg was very specific that he wanted an older monkey to be in this role, not not a not a younger chimpanzee monkey. So we, we definitely went with an older version, one that uh, might be uh, tossed off to the side by the scientists because he was already at his uh, end of his prime. Oh, that's amazing. How many chimps do they have down there in New Zealand in that factory? <laughs> oh, I, I, I think it's an infinite amount of uh, chimpanzees they have there. Right, because I guess some of them, because all of the chimps and Planet of the Apes have different personalities, different looks, and stuff like that. And then once we get the uh, chimp, was there 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 had to have been motion capture, right? Yes, uh, there definitely was. We we did a motion control uh, animation with his performance, uh, particularly because he was doing the sign language. You know, we we got uh, provided to us some uh, gift animations of simple American sign language and some gestures that were re redone for what a chimpanzee would do. Because, for example, they're not going to spell out stuff. So everything is a gesture towards, uh, you know, they want to eat. It's something they put up towards their mouth. Uh, you know, a, a banana, it's them peeling a banana, stuff like that, that they, they could recognize and connect so they took those gift animations, uh, had a performer perform them after lots of practice with a motion capture suit so that they would then in turn move all of the gestures and movements uh, over to our CG version of Marcus. Was Greg the performer? <laughs> Greg helped in some of the performance, I will definitely say. Uh, once we got into editorial, we had to put little blocks inside the edit to allow us to figure out the rhythm and the comedy and and the beats of everyone interacting. Just like you were saying, you guys were performing in front of a green screen. There was a monitor supposed to be showing you the monkey. You never saw it. You never had a clue. Kind of in return, that happened to us when we're in editorial. We couldn't figure out the right beats for everyone's Mm. performance to what the monkey would do. So we had to put placeholders in there and the best and easiest way was uh we we got greg to uh sit down on an iphone and just do a few of the key performances and uh, (laughs) we cut that into our temp and that became our basis of knowing how to deliver the lines and what marcus would be doing so the monkey's performance was based on greg's performance because i thought it was so funny i saw some of those blocks john (laughs) did you see it at adr with greg trying to be like the chimp no i didn't that was so funny i'm sure it was hilarious (laughs) i wish i would have but no i didn't unfortunately and, and, and you're saying, Trent, that all of these sign languages are the real sign languages that a chimp could do and could learn. Uh, correct, yeah. It's, it's all from our research and from going in and finding out how someone would train a monkey to, uh, to perform sign language. They're all based off of the American sign language that's already out there. So they, they use that as a basic principle 
and elaborate on it for those for each individual monkey to communicate because mm. it, it sometimes depends on their individual just like training a dog um you come up with particular gestures and movements that the dog would then understand that's what i need to do and communicate with, mm-hmm. with those individuals so they were all based on some sort of reality that could potentially be true whether they really were or not yeah you know we definitely did take some liberties for some of the comedic moments of uh, a few uh, gestures and and uh wanting to make sure the story was coming across correctly and not lost because it was an odd gesture that nobody would understand what it meant yeah and and I think one of my I don't know about you, John. One of my favorite moments is also when the chimp is spinning out of control. Mm-hmm. That that was that must have taken a long time to animate, right? Uh, it definitely did. That that uh, that one was the monkey on the outside uh, uh, when he was trying to do the repair on the ship or on the um, satellite out there, and uh, that that was a mixture of uh, shooting some practical. Uh, we, we ended up shooting the a portion of the Epsilon satellite on set with a GoPro camera mounted on a helmet. So that was the POV of the monkey. And there was a portion of that that uh, was practical. And it was also a guiding tool for us to then CG animate that movement. And it, uh, it took a lot of collaboration by the, the special effects department, visual effects, the camera crew to come up with a rig because the hardest thing about that spin is we wanted it to be in the base as real as possible. So we Mm -hmm. ended up mounting mannequin hands onto a drill and that drill then was truly attached inside that pole (gasps) with a GoPro camera attached the offset of where the head would be. And we actually got that spinning rotation practical with that set piece. Oh, that's and so cool. Of course, we had to go back and do a lot of manipulation because obviously we're shooting off mm-hmm. the stage wall. We had to clean it up and make it the space environment out there. And, and we had to extend out part of the uh, solar panel that shows up in some of the shots. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it was a mixture of some real photography with uh, CG in there. That's amazing, Trent. And, and I got to say, um, that chimp for sure got paid more than me. During that first season. <laughs> what an amazing feat to have. Like a, a Planet of the Apes, like blockbuster level special effects. And, and I think, you, honestly, you guys all did a great job with that. It's amazing. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. And that, uh, it, there were a lot of discussions in prep of how to go about this. You know, we, we tossed around ideas of practical, uh, practical being a a human performer in a suit using an animatronic um, head, basically, that uh, would do the the gestures and the facial expressions. But once we started getting into that formula being mixed in with supposed to be a monkey in space, weightless, it'd have to be on wires, it got very complicated very quick. And we just decided, hey, we got the Weta team that... uh, have been doing these monkeys for years and are the experts why why not use them to their full potential and that's uh, uh tom the uh, director of the episode was a, a strong component to to uh 
mm-hmm. have us bring in a CG side of this and not not try to do anything practical with them. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I think that was probably wise because that could have taken years. I think so complicated. Right. Imagine building that oh, yeah. chimp from the ground up. That digital ad set. That would be crazy. Well, now that we have the chimp, I think next year uh, we should have a uh, Adrian Mallory fist fighting a chimp scene. Sure, that that'll be my pitch. You know? Yeah, <laughs> I've done motion capture. I'm ready. Oh, right, John, you were in Call of Duty, and it was so cool. I played that game. That was yeah. sick. Yeah, did that. I did one with Robert Zemeckis, uh, Beowulf. That, ooh, which yeah, is, yeah, it's yeah. kind of fun actually motion capture i kind of like it that's awesome um i volunteer to play the chimp if we have a uh, uh any more scenes yeah. yeah thank you so much trent thanks for talking to us oh no problem it was a pleasure thank you for uh, inviting me in well thank you so much john i really appreciate that man pleasure jimmy always great to see you and talk to you and and we'll do another uh, we'll do another zoom with the gang and in the weeks to come absolutely i can't wait uh well stay safe out there and uh say hi to the fam for me um great seeing you thank you thank you you. jimmy ciao bye Bye. this has been inside joke space force i'm your host jimmy o yang join us again for even more space force right here on the podcast